script shoot. <laughs> you all don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> I can't carry a tune in the box if it had handles on it. Oh, anyway, Wednesday night class 6.30, Genesis chapter 30. Thursday night ladies journaling. All the kids, if you want to meet my wife back there in the back, she's ready to take you up to class. And also, if you did order a shirt and you want to see her, uh, go ahead and get with her on that. Um, Thursday night ladies journaling. Next Sunday is Pantry Sunday. So if you want to, invite some friends. Bring them in. Tell them, hey, uh, we, we got something we want to share with you. So uh, I, I pray that you'll do that and uh, be here next Sunday. Uh, Secret Sister revealing party for what they do on December 6th at 630. It's kind of like that little cut and paste thing, Lisa. <laughs> it's whatever they do on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, her and I, we tease back and forth about the journaling. Before I understood everything that they did, always teases well. That people would ask me, what do they do? I said, well, they cut things out and paste it on a book, I think. And it's way deeper than that, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's way deeper. But anyway, our Berean chapters, if, if you don't know what those are, Berean chapters are the chapters that I'll be talking about a little bit uh, this week. And you can take a picture or write them down, and you can go and be a Berean that wants to search out the Word of God on everything that I tell you, and you can take a look at that. And I'm going to confess right up front to get the full story of what happened after the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water to the disciples who are out in the ship which is what I told you last week it's there's a two-part to this there's a reason why he fed the 5,000 and why they gathered up the baskets full of stuff and we reveal that today but uh, you can to, to do John 6, Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9, where each one of, each gospel records that. It's one of the few things that all four gospel versions record it, and they're all a little bit different. So I'm going to try. I prayed and asked the Spirit to help lead me to, to combine all of them into a way that it makes sense and not confusing. So I hope that it will be today for you. The big takeaway from it, is going to be our faith. Do you believe it? Are you going to take it with you for your situations and circumstances in life? And, and Ray and I, we've said before, we don't communicate, but the Holy Spirit does. And so back up uh, to your song. Uh, same power right there. We just sang that song with gusto, didn't we? I listened to you. Were you singing that song with gusto? Let me ask you something real serious. Did you believe what you're singing? Did you really believe what you were singing? Do you believe that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave that commands the dead to wake lives in us? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that the same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that like today is going to calm a raging sea, do you believe it lives in us? Amen, I'm glad you do. Now, are you going to take it with you whenever you get the storm yourself? That's the challenge, and that's what I want to talk about today. So before we get ready for the lesson, I got two things. Miss Sherry talked about her, her grandmother, and her grandmother's name is Sherry. 
and she's very sick right now. And she asked if we would all pray for her. So as we get ready for the word of God, we're also going to pray for Miss Sherry. And I need to let you know that also that there's no safety meeting this week. It'll be next Sunday after services. So let's go ahead and bow and you you pray and prepare yourself for the word and then we'll we'll close out. Father, we humbly bow in prayer and as the body of Christ all together, gathered and assembled here together to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning and proclaim you as God, as, as the creator, as the life sustainer and your son, whom you gave for a sacrifice for our sins and that he willingly did that. And Father, for then your Holy Spirit who lives in us in the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, the same power that calms the raging sea and moves mountains lives in us. And Father, right now we ask for that same power to also go to Miss Sherry as she's in, in the hospice care. We pray, Father, that you will strengthen her, that you will heal her, and that you will provide for her, Father. And I pray that you'll give peace and comfort to the family members that are involved. We trust in you, Father, and we seek you. We pray that your will be done in all of this. And Father, that same power that lives in us, boy. Father, I, I pray as a vessel that you will cleanse me. As I confess that I am nothing but a bag of dust, Father. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And may walk in your light, have fellowship one with another with you through the blood of Christ. And I pray that that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is what echoes from my lips this morning because it's only going to be your word. And Father, there is power in your word. It says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. It's the word dynamite, power, the dynamite of God. So, Father, there's nothing more powerful than your word. There's nothing more precious than a basket full of bread. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to the understanding of that point this day through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in John 6 for most of the day, but, but try to mark Mark 6. And Matthew 14, because we're going to go back and forth between, between those a couple of times. But I'm going to try to keep it to where I don't confuse you too much. Last week, we began our story with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had received some bad news. His cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod. His disciples had came back with good news, but they were all so tired that he wanted to take some time alone. He, he wanted to take them and just relax and try to regroup. But he had done good works while they were gone. He had been healing the folks in that area. 
And so all of the folks that he'd been healing went and they told others, which is what we try to do. We try to tell others about God working in our life. And it was so much that they all started following him. As he tried to go into a deserted place up the mountain, they all followed and trekked after him. And I'm sure it says that many of them were these sick and the lame and the people who had the problems. They, they wanted to go. They were seeking him in that way. And so he goes up to the top of the hill. And all morning what he sees, it says that they kept coming. It was in an imperfect tense. They kept coming over the top. And he'd greet them and he would see all of them that had these infirmities and had the problems in their life and the things going on. And it said that he had compassion upon them. And he began healing each and every one of them that had came there to him. And, and then it came time that it was almost even. And the disciples said, let's send them away. And he, he said, no, it was only recorded in Matthew's version, I think, where he says, no, they do not need to go away. And the rest of the versions record that it says that they wanted to send him away. But he began asking them, how are you going to handle the situation? How are we going to feed them? And in our version in Matthew, it said, or I mean in John 6, he said, from whence are we going to get bread for them? And Philip, you know, he was like looking around and he started doing the count because they had set him in, in companies. One of the versions says of 50s and 100s. And he's like, there's more than 5,000 men, let alone any of the women and children, but 200 days worth of could not supply all of their needs to get a nibble of food. And he said, no, what, what are you going to do? And he kept saying, we can't. Andrew brought a little lad that had five barley loaves and two fishes. And he said, I've surveyed the scenery. I've looked everywhere. And this is all we've got to work with is what this lad brought. I didn't mention it last week, but I was thinking about it last night. Jesus said, if you have faith as little as a what? You can move mountains. This little boy had a mustard seed morsel, didn't he? I mean, it was five loaves and two small fish among 10 to 15,000 people. And there was not even a mustard seed faith among the disciples. They said, what is this among so many? Basically, it's a hopeless, helpless situation. Send them away. Let them go fend for themselves in town and go buy the bread. And Jesus said, no. And remember, we said they turned them into ushers. But I want you to know that that little bit of faith, that five loaves and two fishes, a boy was prepared. Jesus honors what little faith and what preparation you do. And he can take it and work miracles through it. And so he takes and he blesses that little morsel. Ask the father to bless that morsel and it never ended it kept going and he turned them into ushers and to waiters and he said get them seated and then hand them out the food and then he turned them into cleanup persons to to go pick up the scraps take it around it was a god wink not a coinky dink that there was 12 baskets full and 12 disciples each disciple got a basket full of bread to take with them from the the fragments means good sized chunks not crumbs so each one of them got a basket full of bread to take with them does anybody remember what we said the basket and the bread represented 
Huh? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I heard two answers and they're both right because the basket represents Christ, it represents God, it represents His essence, and the bread represents the Word of God. You see, what I, what I want to, to try to help us with today is something I like to call either resting in faith or the faith rest. How, how that we, this whole story is about resting in faith in God and his word. Because you see, you can apply the basket and the bread to every situation in your life. And let me explain. The, the basket represents God and who he is. It's filled with bread, his word. The basket represents the essence of God, of who he is, his characteristics. God is sovereign. And that's just a big word that means he's the ruler. He's the creator. He's God. So he can do whatever he wants to. Ain't nobody going to tell him he can't. He has the right to do whatever he wants to. And he has rulership over everything. God is love. God is eternal life. God is holy. He is righteous and justice. God is all of them omni words. I like to put it like this. He's all powerful. He can do anything. He's all knowing. He knows everything beginning to end. He knew the, begin, ending, the end from the beginning. Jesus was the Lamb of God that was already slain from the foundation of the world. He, he knows everything, he's all-powerful, and he's every, everywhere, that omnipresent word. He, can, he is everywhere at all the time. So he is also veracity, which means truth. And he's immutable, which means he can't change. So God can't change. He is truth. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere. He is the ruler, can do anything he wants to do, and he has love, justice, righteousness, and grace. That's the essence of God. So can we apply that to every situation in our life? I think so. Think about when Moses was told to go and take my people, tell Pharaoh to let them go. You remember that song? I remember I heard that song first in weekday religious education, 1972, over there at Poston Road School. And we had to sing that song, Go down, Moses. You remember that? Way down to Egypt's land, tell oh Pharaoh, sing it, let my people go. You remember that? Okay, so he went there and Pharaoh said no. And who is this God? And when they finally had the ten plagues and he told, told him, get out of here, just get out of here. He was grieving over the loss of his son and everyone. And as Israel left... God purposely told him to camp in Piharoth. And there was a purpose there behind it. The Red Sea was behind him. The mountain range was on the right and on the left. And then all of a sudden when they were stopped there in the encampment, the only opening, the bottleneck that they had came through, here comes Pharaoh's army because Pharaoh had a change of heart. He was now hardened against him, and he was going to take him back and he was going to kill Moses. And here they all come on, on their chariots and the whole army of the most powerful engine of the world at the time. And the people have two choices. You know what our two choices are every time? You can have faith 
or you can panic and give up and, and fall to pieces, can't we? What are we going to do when the crisis come? The people fell apart. They started screaming at Moses. Moses is like, what? And there's like, did you bring us out here just to die next to this? We'd have been best back there as slaves. Moses, they fall apart. They have no basket and no bread. Moses starts going to God in prayer. God tells him to stand still and watch because I'm going to fight for you this day. Now, you know why God can handle the problem? Because it looks like a hopeless, helpless, impossible situation, but let's apply the essence of God to it. Is God all-knowing? He knew you was going to be there, and he led you there, didn't he? Is God everywhere? He's right there. He knows what's happening. Is God all-powerful? Does that mean he can handle the situation? Is God sovereign? Does that mean he has the right to do whatever he wants to do in this situation? God is love. Do you think that he wants to help those he loves? See how if you start believing in who and what God is, and you start applying the essence of God to every situation in your life, how that it will turn it around and allow you to begin resting in faith. And then that's the basket of God. That's, that's who and what God is. That's resting in, in his faith. The bread represents the word of God. Now that I realize that God is these things, and I have a basket, now what I'm going to do is start gathering up fragments. One day when God helps you through a situation that you're in, you can take that and say, God took what was bad and worked it together for my good. I'm putting Romans 8.28 into my basket. That's my fragment of bread. God blessed me with something that I didn't expect. Wow, I'm going to cast all of my cares and burdens upon him because he cares for me. There's, there's 1 Peter 5.7. I'm grabbing that fragment of bread and I'm putting it in my basket. I know who and what God is. And then I began learning the promises of God I began seeing how they work in other people's life through their praise reports. And then I began seeing how he's working in my life. And those chunks of bread began building up. Till pretty soon I have a basket that is full of bread, Bible doctrine, the word of God. And it's action in mine and other people's life carried around in who and what God is. Are you beginning to see the picture? So the Lord, they failed they, they freaked out when he said, let's feed them. And so what the Lord did in exchange for that is he had them to, to, to watch what he was about to do through God, through the essence of God and the blessing of God upon that morsel of faith of that young man. And now they each have a basket and a full load of bread. What do you mean a full load of bread? Well, what had happened up to that point when he was asking them for food? You remember how you're going to feed these guys? You remember we talked about the answer that he was expecting. You remember that? What, what he was wanting was not, it's impossible. We, we don't have enough money. What he wanted to hear was, Lord, I watched you turn 130 gallons of water into the best wine ever. Lord, I saw the demonic person when you walked in the synagogue just fall apart and say, you are the son of God. I saw you heal these people all day long. 
I know that the essence of God is flowing through you. You are the son of God. And so I cannot wait. It's not about me and what I'm going to do in this situation. It's about who and what you are and your essence and what you're going to do in this situation. That's the answer he was looking for. And to hone that down to him, he said, take this basket, gather the bread, and take that with you down the mountain. Take it into your lives and believe it. Carry your basket and your bread with you. Now we pick up the story. Now that was a circumstance that applied to others and helping others and can God do something with those around me. Now it's going to get personal on them. Now that they should have a basket full of bread, they should be able to handle a problem that affects them instead of someone else, right? So that's where we're going to pick up in our story now. If I can find, oh yeah, I'd better not forget. You see, whenever I try to just go from memory, I always forget something. Me and Donnie was talking about that yesterday. He says, I can just put a couple of things down there. And I said, I got to have something to keep me in line. Abraham was another one that began trusting in God. I want you to see how, how Abraham applied the essence of God and the bread, the word of God, his promise to him. The promise of God to Abraham along with who and what God is is revealed to us when he said you're going to have a child and you're going to have a son and all the nations are going to be blessed through you and 25 years later he still doesn't have a child and he's 99 years old and his wife is 90 and their reproductive systems are dead. They've been dead. Go ahead and give me that next slide. Yeah. Romans 4 is a commentary on what Abraham believed after God came to him. The Lord Jesus Christ walking through there and said, this time next year when I come back, you're going to have a baby even though you're 99 right now and she's 90. It says this in Romans 4, that Abraham believed God. He believed that God had the power because of who and what God is and that he had the power to be able to give life to the dead and that he can call things that are not even in existence as though they already are. And Abraham believed what the Lord said, contrary to what it appeared by all physical circumstances, and that there should not be any hope. Indeed, he believed that God was able to make his reproductive organs alive again because God promised he would have a child. And even though his own body... Now being dead and a hundred years old and Sarah's womb being dead at 90. Look at verse 20. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief but remained strong in faith. That's the essence and the character of God and the promise of his word, the bread. Being fully, look at verse 21, underline this. He was fully persuaded that what God had promised to do that God had the power and ability to do it. Oh, thank you. Amen. God has the power, the ability, and what he promises to do, he will do. I will never leave and forsake you. Whenever we are baptized into Christ, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, whenever, he says, go preach the good news of the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says to continue for the forgiveness of their sins that they might be saved. 
And then he says, I want you to continue to teach them, give them doctrine and bread to put them in that basket. And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You've got a promise. He's always going to be there with you. The same promise that Abraham had. And he staggered not at that promise, even though all hope looked gone. And even though their both reproductive organs were dead, he said, God promised, God's able and I'm not going to stagger at his promise of what he said he was going to do. Now, we all get tested like that. The disciples are going to get ready to be tested. But we get tested in our lives as well. It's easy to sit here in a good time and say, I believe. It's a different story when you're on the boat and the waves are up in it. It is a much different story when we're in the ones that are in the heart of the storm. And that's why I always say you've got to learn the Bible doctrine now. You got to get your basket and you got to get your bread now while you can. Because you cannot do it in an emergency. You cannot learn it and, and humbly go through it and take it in when it's, you're in the middle of the storm. You got to already take it with you onto the boat before you go. So the disciples are getting ready to be our example of what we're supposed to not do, but what we often do John 6 if you're still with me verse 13 beginning therefore they had gathered together and filled their 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above of what they had eaten then these men when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did they they said of a truth this is that prophet that was to come and they wanted to take him by force and making the king that means they wanted the crown before the cross you can't have the crown before the cross. It has to come first. So he departed from them and he went to a mountain by himself. And we're going to see in the other versions that he had compelled the disciples to go down the hill and get on the ship while he was sending them away. And they tried to take him by force when he was alone and he left them. And the disciples now even had come. They went down to the sea and they entered into the ship and they went over the sea. They were heading towards Capernaum. And it was now dark. Jesus had not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. The great winds is always coming, aren't they? You can always feel them starting to come and to blow on you and to get ready to, to surround you. The sea began to, to rise by the reason of the great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. And he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, and whither they were heading. Well, into everyone's life a little rain's going to fall. The winds and the waves and the storms are going to come upon you. What you going to do? There's always a purpose, know this, behind every storm of life. There's always a purpose behind it. And it's usually either to bring us back in line or to make us stronger in something and to provide faith. There's always something going on. Now, there's four versions to this story, and we're going to try to get a little bit from all of them to, to make it all fit together and see the whole picture of what the Lord wants us to know. It's evening. The day is over. They've fed them. They've took up their baskets full. They've went down. Jesus is up on the mountain. They've entered the ship, they've rolled, 
They've got 25 to 30 furlongs out into the middle of the sea. It's dark, and Jesus is not on the ship with them yet. And it arose from a great wind. The sea arose. I'm going to look at that word arose for a minute. It's in an imperfect tense. You say, what's that mean? Well, it's imperfect. What it means is it's not perfect because it kept going. When, it, when something's in an imperfect tense, it means it wasn't a one-time thing, like there was a gust and it was over. It means it kept going, kept going, kept going. And the more the wind blew, the more the sea rose. And the more the wind blew, the more the sea rose. And if you've ever been out on a boat in the middle of a lake somewhere, and it really gets to go, and it gets pretty serious. I've been in a little 14-foot John boats before, and the wind starts going, and you're up in Canada, and the water's 40 degrees, and you don't know where you're at. You don't know how deep it is, and, and you don't know the lake, and that thing starts going to where the waves come up over the sides of the boat, and then you're up on top, and then the waves, you start putting handprints in the side of the boat, you start praying, and you get to the nearest shore. This is what's happening, only they're in the middle. They can't get to a shore. It's an imperfect tense. It keeps growing and growing, getting stronger and stronger. And I ask, why? Why is it an imperfect tense? Well, it's because every one of us is different, isn't it? It might take a lot more to scare you than it does me. I think about them being on this ship and what's going on. And I'm thinking about, okay, when the storm begins and it really starts happening, Matthew, he used to be known as Levi, the tax collector. Tax collector probably led a pretty sheltered life, and he wasn't on the sea much. So I imagine that when the sea got boisterous there a little bit, and it's dark and you're getting tossed, I'm thinking that he's about ready to chum for fish. He, him and Thaddeus and a couple of them's about ready to be on the side chumming and seeing what's going on. But then I think, do you remember what occupation Peter was? Yeah, he's a fisherman. He's been out here a lot of times and seen this, hadn't he? You know what he's doing? He's picking out one of them pieces of bread and laughing at these guys. Look, I'm eating, <laughs> and, and you're chumming, but I'm eating. So guess what? We got to get Peter to where he's scared too. So it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going to even now Peter... John and Andrew, his brother, now even they're all afraid because I did a little research on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, where they were crossing, the widest part is eight miles. Where they were at was between six and seven miles going from one side to the other over to Capernaum. The average depth is 84 feet, deepest is 141 and they have recorded, in modern history, 10-foot waves on that sea. Now, I'm thinking you go back, and this is a, a devilish um, storm that's coming up, trying to take, take these disciples out. These waves are probably at least that tall or more. They're on a 2,000-years-ago wooden boat. They're out there, and the waves are rising if you've, if you've been on those things, you ride, your boat will ride a wave up and then go down and the, wave, the two waves are on each side and then you'll ride the wave up and it goes down. And they're seeing water 
and then on top and water and on top. And it had to go to where every single one of them was afraid so that they would all learn the same lesson and to get it. And the reality is now, are they going to look at human viewpoint for the circumstance that they're in now? Or are they going to look at it from a divine viewpoint? In other words, can I get myself out of the situation? Should I be afraid? Or am I going to put my trust and my faith in God and his essence that he's all powerful, all knowing that he's everywhere. He's with me. He has the ability to protect me, to save me, to get me out of this. Am I looking at divine or human viewpoint? And it was the Lord that told us to go out to the boat and to go. So I'm following his word. So should I be afraid? But I am because that's human nature. And so are they. And it's here to show us this is a monster storm and it's rolling out there. You get to Matthew chapter 14, if, if you've got that marked too. Verse 25, it says that this was the fourth watch of the night. So that means it's somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning because the first watch is 6 to 9, then 9 to 12, then 12 to 3, and then 3 to 6. So not only have they been all day climbing a mountain, watching Jesus heal and teach, passing out bread, taking up bread, going to the ship, rowing a furlong, 25 to 30 furlongs. What's a furlong? Well, the word stadia, where we get stadium. And so in these times, a, a stadia at the time that the Bible was written was a track like what we run around on, Wyatt. I remember running on the cinder track over at the old high school, pulling a tire behind me in the cinder track to build my strength up and my wind up as I ran. So the track nowadays is a quarter mile. Their track was an eighth of a mile. It was half of that. It was 607 feet. And so the track was 670 feet and the stadium was built around it. So that was called a stadia. So if you take that, it was an eighth of a mile. So if you're 25 to 30, you're between three and four miles out into the sea. And we said that it was about six to seven miles wide where they're at. So guess where they're at? Right smack dab in the middle. And it's somewhere between three and six in the morning. And how tired do you think you are that you've been rowing all night and up all day? How scared do you think you are when it's about five in the morning you can't see anything, but you know that there's 10-foot monster waves and the wind's blowing out there. Pretty afraid, aren't you? That's the situation of life that they're in right now. John, he, he recorded this, but he left some things out. He leaves out the part about Peter walking on the water. That's in Matthew 14, and that's where we're at here. And I'm going to skip that. I'm not going to go into that today because that's a different lesson for us about, about the Lord calling him out. And besides that, I'd keep you for another hour. But he doesn't record it. I think I know why. Because the Holy Spirit has moved the men to record what they wrote, but he also used their personalities in it. And his personality was one, if you'll remember, that he always had a challenge with Peter. I mean, it was always kind of him and Peter around Jesus. And when Jesus had died, and on the third day when he had arose, and Mary had went to the tomb, and she came back and told him, you remember what the two of them did? They had a foot race, didn't they? They, they both ran to the tomb. John recorded that I beat him. 
And I got to the tomb first and was looking in, and then Peter came running in and went on into the tomb. So he loved to record that he was the head one there. But since he didn't go out and walk on the water, he's not recording that part. God, the Holy Spirit, moves Matthew, the first chummer, to go ahead and to report the victory of Peter in this one, that he steps out. But in Matthew's version now, the, in verse 24, it says that the ship was in the midst of the sea. So that validates everything that the word of God is saying. And, that, and if you take a look at what is the actualities of the lake. They're three and a half miles from either shore. And they're tossed about. And they can't row. They're trying to row that way. And the wind's in their face. And they're getting nowhere. Have you ever been in a hopeless, helpless situation that appears from human viewpoint? And the harder you roll, the more you go nowhere. And I feel like I'm just stuck and I'm not gaining ground. And is this thing ever going to end? Yeah, me too. That's, that's where they're at. Is this ever going to end? Is this going to do me in? What's going to happen here? And then it says they're row, rowing the boat and not getting to shore. And in verse 25, it's the fourth watch of the night. 4 or 5 a.m. Jesus decides now to come out and visit them. Mark in his, in Mark 6, 47, 48, at this point, gives us details that the ship was also in the midst of the sea and that Jesus was on land. It says that Jesus was on the land and he saw them toiling, trying to row, but not moving. The wind was blowing against them, and from land he saw that. Now, how did that happen? Think a minute, what have we been talking about? How did that happen? How was Jesus on land? You're in the middle of a dark night, middle of a storm, a boat's three and a half miles out there in boisterous waves, but yet Jesus could see him because he's God. The essence. He knows where you're at. He he was on land, but he knew exactly where they were at and what they're going through, just like he does in our situations of life. He saw, he knew, apply that essence of God to the situation every time. He saw that, it, that everything that was going on, and he went, began to walk out there to him. The basket, the essence, they should have it. So he goes out. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He has the right to do it. Now he's all-powerful, and because he loves them, guess what he does? Because he knows what's going on, and because he can, he walks on the water. He, and it's not a calm water that he's walking on. He's walking on the stormy water. He's walking on the waves. He's... God walking out because of love and righteousness. And he's coming out to honor his word and to take care of it. So here he comes. He starts moving in. Now we're still in Matthew 14, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they, they were joyous. And they, is that what you read? They were troubled. They, they saw him walking on the water and they were troubled. Have you ever failed in the middle of everything that you're going on to really recognize that God's there with you? Or do you sometimes, they, they thought it was a spirit. You see, they had lost all hope that God was handling it. They thought a spirit was coming out there. And this kind of goes to superstition because they had a superstition that the abyss was like the sea, just like when the earth was created and there was darkness upon the face of the deep. And, and so the abyss and the deep and anything like that, they thought was dealt with a satanic realm and with trouble and so they're like ah it's a demon it's a spirit it's a ghost out here walking and 
Not only were they already afraid, but now they're doubled afraid because of that. So that's what the, the verse is trying to say. Now they're crying out in even more fear because they know that doom is on the way. And so I can't imagine as the first one tried to see that. Just imagine you're on that boat and it comes up and finally someone says, something's on the water and it goes down and you can't see. And they're like, you're hallucinating, man. It, it's way past the bedtime. You're starting to see things. He's like, no, really. Rises up, a couple more. Yeah, I see it. I see what you're pointing at. And pretty soon they all saw it and they started getting afraid. And they're just out here trying to survive. And now doomsday is coming after them, they think. And, and so then the Lord, he begins to make his way to them. And he begins to say, it is I. Do you know what his advice is to us whenever he comes to us in that situation? Be of good cheer and be not what? Stop being afraid. And it's a command. Why? Because I'm here with you. And if you know my essence and you know my word, you have no reason to be afraid of what's going on at this time. I love 2 Timothy 1.7. We, the children of God, we have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So he's, he's just quoting what we're supposed to do. Stop fearing. Fear not. There's only one time that fear is used in the Bible as a thing that we should be afraid of something, actually. That's Hebrews chapter 4, when the only thing that we should be afraid of is missing the boat of his grace and his, and his calmness. That's the only thing that we should be afraid of, is not having that in our life. So the voice of Jesus began, began coming into their mind. I'm the basket. I'm the bread. I'm here with you. And Matthew records the miracle of Peter walking on the water. But then John 6 and Mark 6, as we get ready to close and apply all these things to our life, turn to John 6 again and then get ready for Mark 6. But the final point of doctrine that we can take home in our basket with us today is how did they get here? Why are they even in the middle of the lake being tested. Why are they there? Hmm, you want to know? Same reason I'm there most of the time. I'll tell you that ahead of time. Same reason I am. The choices we make usually. And the mental attitudes that I develop towards God, towards other people, towards myself, towards anything. It, what I think is what I am, the Bible says. So we'll take a look at John first. Chapter 6, verse 19. So... When they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and he was drawing near the boat. They had been afraid. Matthew says now they are even more afraid because as he got near the boat, we just saw they thought he was a ghost. And now they realize that it's the Lord out there, and he hollers at them, it's I, be not afraid. And then verse 21 is the key verse that I want us to take with us today. Can you tell me what verse 21 says? Huh? They believed and they were what? Then they were willing to receive him into the boat. You know why Jesus hadn't been in the boat? They had an attitude going on. They were upset. They hadn't been willing up to this time to have Jesus riding in the boat with them. You say, wait a minute. I want you to look at what it says in Mark 6. 
You turn over to Mark 6 and verse 48, it begins to make it even a little more clear. Look up there at the screen in verse 48. When Jesus saw them straining and rowing in the fourth watch of the night, he came to him walking on the sea, and what was he going to do? He would have passed them by. Can you believe that? He would have passed them by. Why? Because they hadn't been willing to invite him in the boat. In other words, he's always there with you. He never did leave you or forsake you. He knew everything that's going on, but he keeps walking by the boat to see if I'm willing to let him in yet. He would have passed them by, but they weren't accepting it until now when they finally had hit rock bottom in their fear and there was nothing else and they're finally now willing to let him on the boat. And why did they have an attitude? Well, think about it. They had failed the first test. He had made them be ushers. Go see them. Watch what, I, watch what God's going to do in this situation. You should have had the faith. You should have given me the right answer. And then after he made them be ushers, then he said, now you're waiters. I'm going to give you pieces of bread and fish, and you're going to take them and pass them out to them. So they were ushers. They were waiters. And then when they came back and tried to get their food, then he's saying, hey, I need you to be the cleanup guy. I need you to be the janitor Take your baskets and go out there and collect everything they got. And then after they did that, Jesus said, I'm going to stay here with the people. Carry your baskets down and go into the ship and take off. Do you think they're a little upset? Yeah, yeah. And, and the same way with me. When, when I'm not realizing the basket and the bread for what it is and what I should do, and I make some wrong decisions, and I get corrected a little bit for it, and then I have to work my way through those situations, sometimes we get a little edgy and a little attitude. And why is the Lord allowing this happen to me? Why is the Lord, I know you guys don't, I'm talking about me. Why is the Lord letting this happen to me? Why is, why is this going on in my life? I see everybody else doing this. So the Lord says, go get in the boat and I'll really show you something. I'm going to stay right here for a little bit on land and I'm going to let you get out there in the boat since right now you don't seem to want me in your boat with you. And he would have passed them by because up to this point, they still had that attitude with them. You know how I know that? Word of God. Look at the last verse right there. He would have passed them by. He came unto them again. They finally were willing to let him get on the boat. And when they let him get on the boat, they were sore amazed because the winds quit blowing. The waves kept hounding, and it was like they just went right on into shore. But why had they been out there in the boat all by themselves facing that storm and Jesus not in it? They had not considered the miracle of their loaves, for their heart was hardened. They had an attitude, didn't they? They didn't want to learn and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord at first. They just wanted to be in charge and at the right hand and in, in power and glory with you and woo, good time. And the Lord says, no, you're still learning. Go out there and do these things. And instead of doing it to grow, they got a hard heart. They, they took it personal. They got an attitude. Every good father, the Hebrews says, chastens their kids. They, they, they make them mind wipe. Not because you want to chase them, but because it's for their own good. To keep them out of trouble, to keep them from getting hurt, to learn them right from wrong. And he said, the Lord God does that with us. And sometimes 
It hurts. But you take it in grace. Christ did the same thing and he grew and he went to the cross for us. They had a hard heart. And when they finally humbled themselves in the sight of the Lord, then he was able to lift them up. And he got into the boat. And just like he always promised, I was always there ready. All you had to do was receive me. All you had to do was take that loaf and that basket and apply it to your situation. And, and it would have worked out a lot better for you. But you know what? It's through our mistakes and it's through those things that we actually grow stronger in faith. Because then how strong do your faith or faith is now that all of this happened? Doesn't it make them think that now I don't want to keep, I want, I don't want Jesus not to be in my boat. And I want to carry that basket and that bread around with them. Yeah, they're learning. So, and we're in the same thing. All of this was written so that we would learn and to apply this to our lives. So as the praise team returns, I pray that this lesson, the word of God, will be an example for not only me, but for you, that their mistakes were learning so that we don't do the same thing. But often we do. And when we do, I need to know the essence of God, the word of God. I need to know that he can do everything. And I need to apply that to my situation, that he's always with me. He's always looking out for me, even whenever I'm blowing off steam and he's walking on the outside of my boat waiting on me to blow it all off. He's always waiting for us to receive him back. We have a basket of who and what God is, his essence. We have a book filled with bread, the promises of life that he gives to us in writing that he cannot go back on. We got a God that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son up for us and allowed him to be crucified by evil hands. And then we have this verse. We have a savior that loved us so much. Philippians 12, I love it. Let this mind be also in us that was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. What that means is, when it's that word for robbery doesn't mean to steal something, what it means is, is you grab a hold of something and don't let go. You take it. Being equal with God, reigning on a throne with God in heaven, was not something that Jesus felt that he needed to hang on to when he saw the predicament that you and I were in. That it was only through his sacrifice could we be saved. So he didn't say, no, I'm hanging on to being God and let them go buy bread themselves. He said, I will give up that and I will humble myself as a man, as a bondservant. I will be a bondservant in the likeness of a man, in the appearance of a man, and he humbled himself as God of the universe to the point of death. He was obedient to the word and the will of God to the point of death for me because I'm too stubborn and mule-headed. That at the name of Jesus, he's given, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that is ever named. And at the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess those on heaven, those on earth and under the earth, that Jesus is the Christ to the glory of God. I pray that you do that this day. Jesus is the Christ to the glory of God. He died for us. He loves us. Take your basket of who and what he is and what God is and the spirit is that is filling us. Take his word, that bread, and carry it with you and apply it to our situations in life. Father, 
Easier said than done. Many times I continue to fail just as the disciples did. So glad they did because that's an example that they weren't perfect and neither am I. But I pray, Father, that the power that is within your word that the Holy Spirit will take your word that was spoken today, your holy and divine word, and I pray that he makes it real within our hearts and our minds, that he makes our life to be a basket, the essence of God, and that within it he fills us with this bread of life, doctrine of not only who and what you are and your abilities and your capabilities, but also of your promises to us that you have promised you cannot lie and still be God, so they have to be true. And you will honor those, and you will honor mustard seed faith. And I pray, Father, that you will help us that every time I'm in the middle of a storm and I'm feeling hopeless and helpless, let that voice come out at his eye. And let it bring me out of the depths of my hard-heartedness. And allow me to open up and receive you back again. I'm so thankful, Father, for 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. That all I have to do is confess my faults before thee. And you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. To cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that I have now the ability to have fellowship with you and walk in the light as he is in the light. And that blood to continually cleanse us from our sins. Father, thank you for that blessing. The Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.